Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Now, there's a guy who's been walking in the desert for about two weeks, and it's hot. And one day he sees the home of a missionary. I wonder if you could just turn me down a little bit. He sees the house of a missionary. Everybody say missionary. missionary. Tired and weak, he crawls up to the house and collapses on the doorstep. The missionary finds him and nurses him back to health. Feeling better, the man asks the missionary for directions to the nearest town. Now, on his way out the back door, he notices that the missionary's got a horse. And he says, he says, boy, he says, you think it might be possible that I might be able to borrow your horse? And the missionary says, sure. But he says, look, there's a special thing about this horse. You have to say thank God in order to make him go and amen to make him stop. Thank God, and he goes, amen and he will stop. Now, not paying much attention, the man says, sure, okay, yeah, like, whatever. So he gets on the horse and says, thank God. And the horse starts walking. Then he says, thank God, thank God. And the horse, <laughs> the horse starts trotting. Finally feeling brave, the man says, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. And the horse just takes off. I mean, like he's running in the Grand National, right? And Pretty soon, the man on the horse sees a cliff coming. And he's doing everything he can to stop the horse. And he's like, whoa, stop, hold on, halt. And then he remembers, amen. And the horse stops right on the brink, like four inches from the edge of the cliff. The man leans back in his saddle and he goes, thank God. Now, going back to the man that he borrowed the horse from, who did he borrow the horse from? A missionary. Now, today's theme is the first international missionary journey. And this will be our theme for the next six to eight weeks, at least the next two chapters. That's chapter 13 and 14 in the book of Acts. And today's topic is God's faithful servants. God's faithful servants. And as you know, we're in the book of Acts and we're looking at the history of the early church. And these are the verses that we're going to be trying to cover this afternoon. Verses 1 to 12. 1 to 12. Oh, it's supposed to be Acts chapter 13. Excuse me. And I'm going to start reading Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 12. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up under who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis... They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so he for so his name is translated, <clears throat> excuse me, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now I hope you were here last week and enjoyed, hopefully, the Acts chapter 1 through to 12 review or recap is a better word for what, um, basically looking at the weeks that we'd covered but we'd taken a break from. Now we'd previously spent four weeks looking just at verse one, which was about six months ago. You can check the podcast. So I'm not going to spend too much time on verse one, <clears throat> um, but we talked about excellent elders, part one and two. At the, at the time I said that I would do an excellent elders part three, but I've now decided against that. We can look further at that when we, go, um, when we go on to teach the book of Timothy, when we get to chapter um, 3 at some point. Now, as a small church that is quite committed to missions, home and abroad, we're a church that's dedicated, devoted, and unswerving in our outreach attempts, that means that we will benefit greatly from the encouragement, vision, and example set by these early primary pioneers who will, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, set pace. They're going to exemplify, they're going to typify, illustrate, and demonstrate the fundamentals of mission. Now, I'm going to make three points and here comes the first one. God's leaders are prepared to serve. God's leaders are prepared to serve. If you look at verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and it names them. Here we have the leaders of an amazing church in Antioch. Five men who are spiritually gifted as prophets and teachers. 
Now, first of all, prophets, prophets, they do two things. They foretell and they foretell. To foretell. To foretell means to predict the future. That's typically what you think of when you hear about a prophet, right? They predict the future as we saw Agabus do, if you remember, in chapter 11, verse 28. And it says, And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place, as he said, in the days of Claudius. And we're going to see Saul slash Paul give us an example of this that is foretelling today. He's going to foretell or predict the future when we get to verse 11. And not only would they as prophets foretell, but they would also foretell. Foretell. That is, proclaim a message. Proclaim a message truthfully, clearly, and authoritatively to those for whom it is intended. The word prophet also, as well as a predictor, also means preacher. Someone speaking under the inspiration of God. Generally, it means somebody who foretells or someone who tells forth. Someone who preaches, someone who declares strongly in a straightforward manner. Speaking of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the, wo in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a what? A prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is Jeremiah, Oh, Lord, Lord God, behold, I, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a younger I'm only a youth, says Jeremiah. But the Lord said to me, like he says to some of you who may say the same thing, do not say I'm only a youth, for to, to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall what? Speak. Speaking forth the will of God as it relates to the people listening. It's a little bit like what I'm doing now. I'm not telling you the future, foretelling, but I am foretelling. I'm telling forth the word of God, and in that sense, I'm a, I'm a prophet, small p. And it says that they were also teachers, verse 1. Leaders whose office was to instruct the people in Christian doctrine, in Christian theology, in Christian teaching. And they were serving the people. They were serving the church. These individuals were God's leaders serving. Now at this point, Barnabas seems to be at the top of the list, right? And who have we got at the bottom of the list? So, up until now, Barnabas has been the more senior of the two. If not, the five in the list, that is. Yet, this will all change in a few short moments. Notice, as we continue to see that God's leaders are prepared to serve. Serving. 
by prophesying and preaching. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It says, while they were what? Worshiping or serving, as other translations put it. How many of you know that worship isn't confined to raising your hands and singing? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, that means set apart, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, it's only reasonable, it's your reasonable, rational service says the King James. Worship, says King James. Sorry. Service, says King James. Worship, says the TCV and also the ESV. TCV, the 20th century version. ESV, English standard version. Worship or service. It's something that you do with your life. Verse 3. Then after fasting... This is now the second time this is mentioned. And praying, again, acts of service, acts of worship. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice how instrumental the local church is. It's not just that they went. Barnabas and Saul are sent. These two apt and very capable leaders, they don't just decide to start their own ministry. And they are apt and very capable leaders. Now, what does that say today about new Christians immediately getting into ministry? Saul has been a Christian for over 14 years at this point. Barnabas even longer because Barnabas got saved before Saul. See, what does this say about the novice? Are you in ministry? Well, if you are, the next question obviously has to be, are you submitted and committed? I should say committed. It just rhymes better when I say committed. Are you submitted and committed to the local church. See, Saul, ain't, he ain't running around like some lone ranger doing his own thing. Even Barnabas, check it, who arrived here in Antioch because he was sent. He was sent originally by the apostles in Jerusalem. So this, like Barnabas is like, okay, I'm here and I'm serving in Jerusalem. Oh, what, you want me to go up to... Well, up to Antioch. Yes, says Peter and James and the rest of the apostles. Okay. He doesn't just pick himself up and determine that that's what I'm going to He's sent. And he goes up there. Look at Acts 11, verse 22. Sorry, from verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, these guys, they've left because of the persecution. And they're sharing the gospel as they go. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, two of the group that we mentioned in verse 1, 
Remember, Cyrene is North Africa. It's Libya, right? That's why it calls him the black man. And then you also have another one who's probably from Cyprus, which is probably Barnabas, who on coming to Antioch, check it, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now watch verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, this leads nicely into our second point. God's leaders are prepared to be led. God's leaders are prepared to be led. First of all, Simeon, Lucius, and Mannion, they agree with the leading of the Spirit, don't they? Now, how hard that must have been for them. How easy it would have been for these leaders who are looking and thinking, "Mm -mm, you lot are leaving, to say, well, boy, you know what? We're not really sure that this is the will of the Lord, you know. I mean, we really need your help, Barnabas and Saul. We need you to stick around. I mean, we're only the second largest church in the world. I mean, ministry's kind of weighty around here. They could have said that, right? But no. They are willing to be led to the point of letting go and letting go of the very best. And if they didn't release them, they, that is Barnabas and Saul, may never have become the great men that they did. But they did that is, release them, and they did become men greatly used of God. But now, not only were the three prepared to release the two, but the two were happy to be released from the three. Barnabas and Saul could have been like, well, you know what? We don't want to go. Tim just said it. We're comfortable. I mean, this church is amazing. I mean, Anyone who's talking about anything regarding Christianity talks about Antioch. It's popping in Antioch, right? They're like, well, our friends are here. And I've got my own office, laptop, pension plan. See, in spite of all the challenges, these five servants are prepared to be led. Check it. Joshua chapter 24, verse 3. God is speaking. It says, Then I took, says God, your father Abraham from beyond the river and did what? And led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. God says, I gave him Isaac. Imagine. Imagine if Abraham hadn't followed the leading of God. If he, if, he, if he didn't do that, he would have never had Isaac. There would be no offspring. Now think about how that would have affected Abraham's great, 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 great grandson, David. Think about how that would have affected Abraham's, sorry, David's great, great, great grandson, Jesus. All because Abraham loved milk tray jobs. (laughs) 
So I couldn't resist that. It just sounded like it needed to go there. <laughs> now, some of you, right, that just went right over your head. I mean, like, whew. don't worry, that's a 1980s joke. Check it. There would be no offspring, no Isaac, no David, no Jesus, all because Abraham was willing to be led. See, don't think that just because you lead, you're a leader. You're only a good leader if you're being led. You're only a good shepherd because you're following the great shepherd. You're only a good shepherd because you're following the good shepherd. And this goes for all of us who are true sheep. See, I'm a shepherd, right, because I'm a pastor, but I'm still a sheep. And with regard to the sheep, check it. Just because you're in the pen doesn't mean that you're a sheep. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're a Christian, as we heard Reynold mention this morning. Romans chapter 8 Verse 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters, if you like, of God. You feel the rub, you feel the pinch there. I do. And it's one of them things, again, like Reynolds said, makes me evaluate my life, isn't it? Makes me examine myself to see whether I'm genuinely in the faith. Am I being led by the Spirit? See? Are you being led by the Spirit? Or are you following the lead of the Spirit? Well, these five leaders are. Verse 4 of our text. So, being sent, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, we usually identify the preaching of the gospel historically with quiet rural villages. For this reason, many Christians are surprised to learn that the church in the book of Acts was almost entirely urban. It was municipal. It was inner city. It was metropolitan. Historian Wayne A. Meeks writes... Within a decade of the crucifixion of Jesus, the village culture of Palestine had been left behind and the Greco-Roman cities became the dominant environment of the Christian movement. See, the church began where? In Jerusalem. And then it spread to other cities, cities including Samaria, then further, Damascus, Caesarea on the coast, and Antioch in Syria. You see, for them, that would be like us saying today, the church began in London, and then it moved to Paris, and then it moved to New York, and then to Tokyo. At least 40 different cities are mentioned in the book of Acts. 
in these next two chapters, that is 13 and 14, Luke will describe Paul's ministry in six different cities. Beginning at his home church in Antioch from which he's sent and ending right back up at that same place in Antioch. This is Paul's first missionary journey. Now this, was, now this is something that has drastically affected our thinking regarding missions, particularly regarding Jamaica. Because we were praying about going to a little kind of rural area where literally hog and goat and chickens, many of you guys have, have been. We went out in 2009 on a mission trip, 47 of us. Um, and it was like a little backwater, like back bush, like they would say in Jamaica. And this made us think, you know what, is that really the best place to go or to be? We're still praying, we're still saying, Lord, if that is, amen. But we're trying to think a bit more strategically. And the last trip we did, we, we actually spent some time in Negril, which is probably the fourth or fifth largest city in Jamaica. And it was incredible. So pray for us as we pray, particularly seeking the Lord's direction on that. Okay. Up until now, Jerusalem had been the center of ministry and Peter the key apostle. But from this point on, Antioch in Syria would become the new center and Paul the new leader. Now, that's not instead of Peter, but in conjunction with. See, Jesus is in the process of building his church. Yet again, we see that the gospel is on the move. That's why I'm so encouraged. Like, what? Where's Reynolds? Forgive me, Reynolds. Communion is really only supposed to be five, ten minutes. Every one of the brothers who we give opportunity, because you know we try and give brothers opportunity around here to grow in the ministry of teaching if that's what God has given them. And even if you ain't going to be a, a preacher, teacher, pastor, if you're a family man, how many of you know you're a pastor? You're a shepherd of a small flock called your family. And you better be able to lead them. So, because we've had people in the past say, you shouldn't push people up, you shouldn't let people do this. You know what, we're just encouraging people to grow in the Lord, and especially demand them. We need more men to stand up, you know what I'm saying, and speak up and be responsible. And it's hard. Brothers come to the pulpit, they come to just do announcements, and they're trembling. And it's terrifying being up here, but God is helping us. He's helping us as men to be leaders. So, Reynolds was about 25 minutes this morning. <laughs> and I stood at the back and I was waving. I was like, Reynolds, bruv, time. And he never saw me. Um, <laughs> coincidentally, he never saw me. And um, me and Bertram was at the back there and we was laughing and joking about it. And I said, Bertram... Um, Bruv, it's been a long time, innit? And he's like, yeah. And I think I said something like, bruv, I think you, you was the same, weren't you? And look, I'm the same. I mean, I think I do it every Sunday anyway. You know what I'm saying? When I'm preaching. But what encouraged me? What encouraged me? I mean, apart from guys like Tim and Pastor Patrick for like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I was encouraged because at the back I stood and I thought, Lord, you know what? We got a bag of teachers in our fellowship. Or at least we got, a, we got a batch of men who are prepared to stand up and represent the Lord. 
You know what I mean? And it encouraged my heart to the point that by the time he had got to, I don't know, his third or fourth point, we was at the back saying, Amen. Forget about the time. But I say that just to say that, thank God amongst us, the gospel's on the move. I said, what's up, I said, what's up to Esso? You might have heard when he came in, you might have thought, who is that? He's a brother who's been in Bible college for the past three years. Brother's finished Bible college, I think, this term. This is his last semester. And hopefully the Lord is getting ready to unleash him on the world. You know what I mean? We've got, one, two, we've got four people in here who are now in Bible school. God is raising up leaders. We, we, um, I think it's, it's Daniel. Daniel's brother is going to John MacArthur's Bible school in, where is it, where is it? In California. Master's Seminary. He's going out there for, oh, I wish I could tell the testimony. It's a heavy testimony how the Lord just provided 24 grand for him to go and study the Bible. And I'll be, I think me and Pastor E was saying, well, I hope he don't get, I hope he don't say, boy, I'm in America. Maybe the Lord has called me to America. Mm -mm, you better come back to London. <laughs> a lie? You better come back because we need good Bible teachers in, in London. You know what I mean? And what I'm saying is God is on the move. You know what I mean? And, it's an, it, and here we see that the gospel is moving. Jesus is building his church. And Paul, oh my God, no, we have no idea. They have no idea at this point what the Lord is going to do with this man's life. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down. This is Barnabas and Saul now. They went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Now, this helps me. I hope it helps you. You know where Israel is, right? There's Israel in the south, and then further north, this is how far the gospel has reached at this point. The church in Antioch. Now, where's Antioch? It's in Syria. Then what happens is, as we just saw in verse 4, Barnabas and Saul are sent from Antioch, and they go down where? No, they don't go straight to Cyprus. They go down to the dock at, Sa at Seleucia. And then they leave from the dock, and they travel to Salamis. And where's this? This is Cyprus. Cyprus. Now, like I said, I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me. Now, we come to our third point. Our third point. God's leaders are prepared to preach. We saw that they're prepared to serve. We saw that they're prepared, prepared to be led. Now we see that they're prepared to preach. Verse 5. When they arrive, where? Like on our map, at Salamis. They did what? proclaimed the word of the of the lord they proclaim the word of god they preached henry martin missionary to india and persia said check it and he should i mean i think he's well qualified to make a statement india and persia that's that's modern day iran right henry martin says the spirit of christ is the spirit of missions 
And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missional we become. I mean, they, I showed it to you for this reason. They traveled over land and sea. And that weren't no joke back in them days. Back in them pre-industrialized days. They traveled. Now what does that mean? They walked. And back in them days, they never had no Meru or Columbia hiking boots. You know them ugly boots? They never had them. Horseback, if they were lucky. And then check it, sailboats. Not boats, sailboats. That's how they traveled. Yeah, and an amazing commitment. See, despite the difficulties that they were faced and confronted with, you can see these are individuals, they're not even thinking about their own personal pleasures. I was thinking about just this week how the scripture says, you know, in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasures. Pleasure is a multi-billion pound industry, whether it's PS3, Wii, Name the stuff that people do to derive pleasure. Creature comforts. I notice as I get older, it's hard for me to leave my yard because I'm surrounded by everything that makes my life nice and easy and comfortable. Can I get a witness? And travel, who wants travel? And look how easy travel is for us. I mean, apart from British Airways and the madness that they're going on with, right? It's so easy for us to travel. I mean, we're going up to York to the pastor's conference and it's nothing. We book the tickets, go down to King's Cross, jump on the train, relax. Let the train take the strain. Is that another 80s quote? You know what I mean? And it will be like, but look how difficult it was for them, yet they never even considered their own personal. See, and they traveled and proclaimed the word. In the synagogue of the Jews, now we will see that this will become a pattern in weeks to come. And it says, and they had John, that is preaching to the Jews in the synagogues first. And they had with them John, or John Mark, to assist them, who will later prove to be unfaithful. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, now just back to our map, you see where they are in Salamis? It says that they've gone through the whole island. Just move the thing out of the way. I don't know. I never even measured or thought about to find out how far that is. But I'm sure that's some distance. They went through the whole island until they came to this place called Paphos, which is right on the other side of the island. And when they got there, they came upon a certain magician. Some translations say sorcerer. It's one who used magical arts and presumed to have supernatural power, which is strange because he's Jewish. And he, in contrast to Barnabas and Saul, is a false prophet. He's a false predictor. He's a false proclaimer named Bar-Jesus. Now that's a bad name choice. Bar, meaning son of Jesus, 
Well, not the Jesus that we know. In a moment, Saul is going to call, is, Saul is going to call him anything but the son of Jesus in verse 10. Now, don't look there. Verse 7. He was, this bar Jesus, he was with the proconsul. Basically, that's the Roman governor in this particular province because Rome ruled the world at that point, right? His name is Sergius Paulus, and he's a high-ranking man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul. Hmm. Possibly he's heard about these brothers on the island, isn't it? Conjecture. But for him to summon them means that he must know about them. So he summons them. And because he, he's, he sought to hear from them. See, he sought to hear the thing that they were so good at proclaiming. He sought to hear the very thing that they were prepared to preach, which is the word of God. Verse 8. But Elymas, the magician, same dude as before, for that's the meaning of his name. It's sorcerer or wise man. It's the same name given to the magi, the magi, the wise men who came to Jesus just after his birth, right? And it says he, this is Elymas, bar Jesus, he opposed them, Barnabas and Saul, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Do you know anybody like that? Pray for them. Verse 9, especially that this don't happen to them, that's going to happen to him. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, Saul, who was also called Paul. Now, this is the last time we're going to hear him refer to as Saul. From now on, it will always be Paul. And not Barnabas and Paul, but Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and his companions. Last week we said that Luke, the writer of this book and the book of Luke, we said Luke wrote two books, 52 chapters in total, which equaled one-fifth of the New Testament. Paul, on the other hand, will write 13 books, letters, 87 chapters, one-third of the New Testament. And so, Paul, he, where are we, middle of verse 9, filled with the Holy Spirit or controlled by the Spirit, looks intently at this brother, Elymas, verse 10, and said, you son of Jesus. No, he never said that. You're looking at me, you're not looking at your Bible. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? It sounds very much like what Peter said to Simon, the other sorcerer, in Acts chapter 8. It says, but, verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic, same thing, in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, city, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great, King James. This man is the great power of God. Can't forget King James. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Drop down to verse 18. Now, when Simon saw, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, 
Give me this power, because he ain't really got no power. Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now listen to what Peter says to him in verse 21. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. A lot of that will contribute and help us in our prayers, particularly for those who are not saved. Verse 23, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, still in his sin. Even though the brother's been baptized, if you remember back in chapter 11. Now back to verse 11 of our text. Very similar to what he said. And now behold, says, says Paul. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you, Elamas, will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Here is where Paul, as I said earlier, makes a prediction. Remember I mentioned that? And it comes to pass instantly. Look at the middle of verse 11. Immediately. A mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Not so great now, is he? Trying to get in God's way. Easy. Careful now. There are those that will shake their fist at God and say, if there's a God, I dare him to strike me down right now. Easy. It, it, may, it may not happen most of the time, but easy. Immediately. Paul makes a prediction. And we see the Lord support that. Now check it. I would say that this was an impressive endorsement of Paul's ministry. But more importantly, it was a sign following the message. Not just the apostle, but approval from God regarding the message of the apostle. This was proof from God that this new doctrine was true. And look at the result, verse 12, as we get ready to wrap up. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Notice that the supernatural feat contributed to him believing, but it wasn't the miracle that astonished him. It was the teaching of the Lord, which, knowing Paul, would be centered on the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on account of man's sin, which would then call for repentance, a change in the way people think see you see how the word is a double-edged sword check it it's it's smiting the sinner with judgment on one hand and then bringing conviction to the sincere inquirer on the other the proconsul was astonished why because god's leaders were prepared to preach
in summary, we first of all saw that God's leaders are prepared to serve. Second, that God's leaders are prepared to be led. And third, that God's leaders are prepared to preach. In this chapter, we see an example of God's faithful servants. Now, to apply this. First of all, to leaders. Thank God for good leaders who serve and who are, are willing to be led. Thank God for, for good leaders who are prepared to preach the word of God. But then there's also a warning for leaders who do the antithesis, who do the opposite, right? Strong warning. May God help us who are leaders. May, may God help those of you who are growing and will become leaders. So just stay faithful to the word of God. And not try and give people something other than that for bad reasons, for wrong reasons. We can also apply this not only to leaders, but also to servants, to God's servants. Those who are not necessarily leaders, pastors, got a, a name badge. But you're a believer, and all believers are supposed to serve. It's one of the reasons why we're bringing in membership. Because some of you don't know that. Some of you don't know that as just a regular Christian, it's your commitment to serve. And you're running from it. But you need to realize that service is, is by the body to the body. Just like different parts of your body, how they function, your liver. Now your liver has something that it contributes to the rest of the body. You know what I'm saying? It receives nourishment and oxygen from other parts of the body. You'd be like, I'm a little, where's my nourishment? Okay, here it comes. Ah, that's what I'm saying. But then the liver's got a job to do. How could the liver be saying, yeah, well, just gimme, gimme, gimme? Well, how about filtering? Is that what the liver does? Yeah, how about filtering? <laughs> you know what I mean? And doing your job. See? Every single one of us that's a member of the body has to contribute as well as receive. And may God help us to be given to one another so we genuinely receive in something of nourishment and substance. But the question is, as a servant, are you willing to be led? Or you want to do your own thing? If the Lord whittles us down to 10 people, so be it. We want 10 people who are willing to be led. You know what I'm saying? And willing to say, boy, I really don't want to do that. But evidently I see that's what the Lord is saying. So, Lord, help me. As I put my hand to the plow. Calluses and all. And I mean, may God help us as individuals to be prepared to serve. And may God help us to be witnesses. Again, sorry. <laughs> it's kind of uncomfortable around here because very often what we try to do is turn the mirror. You know, very often you go to a church and everything is dependent on the great leader. And I mean, and we're not trying to do that right now. We're not trying to elevate ourselves to the point where you come to hear Pastor Ephraim. 
You know what I'm saying? You come to adore the ministry of Pastor Patrick and you sit back and you receive the glorious, wonderful ministry of these mighty men of God. You know what I'm saying? So often in church, that's what happens, isn't it? Leaders get elevated way past their station. It's not good for them and it's not good for those that elevate them because the scripture says when they fall, great will be the fall in your sight. So we got, so that's leaders, but you know, as servants, not only is it the job of the pastor, the, the teacher to preach and to declare the message, it's our job as just sheep, not necessarily shepherds, but just as sheep to be a witness. You may not be able to preach like Reynolds, but that doesn't mean you can't share the gospel with your neighbor. We're called to be witnesses. Just like these who, and check it, you better mind sharp that God don't bring persecution in your life, in my life, to the point where we don't, we ain't trying to go nowhere. We ain't trying to be a witness. Hey, I'm happy right here. Don't try and make me, now we won't say that to God. We won't say, God, I'm not going. But like Jonah, we all got that in our heart, haven't we? And you're like, I'm. Well, if you're in that place and you're a believer, you know what the Lord's going to do? The Lord will move you. He will, use ad he will use adverse circumstances to get you on your feet, soldier. Move it, move it. Move. Come and wake you up at five o'clock in the morning. You think that God ain't like that? Hey. That's not part of the message today, but we're called to, all of us are called to serve. Are you a sheep following the good shepherd? And third, to the unbeliever let's say you're here today and you know what you're not really genuinely submitted to christ he's not your lord like again could quote reynold again you, know, you might say oh jesus yeah he's heavy he's a good teacher he's hmm, he's a prophet whatever that means should be clear today but boy, what lord what like i got about to him come on now he's just a man well we can talk about that and even if you want to just say he's just a man, check it. He's just a man that God raised from the dead. That's a good starting point as we begin to talk about who Jesus really is. And the question is, if you're an unbeliever, are you like Elymas? One, you don't want Jesus in your life, but furthermore, then you become antagonistic to him and you're trying to block anyone else. Like, is it Richard Dawkins? All I say is careful, easy. See what happened to Elymas? And, and Paul calls him the son of the devil. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. To those who thought that they were quite religious and quite holy and respectable before God. God says, check it. You think that God is your father. It's not true. Your father is the devil. And when God looks at the earth, he only sees two types of people. Those who are in Christ and those who are out, outside of Christ. He sees sheep and he sees goats. You're either in or you're out. You're either going up or you're going down. The Bible says that we've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness. And there ain't no middle ground. There ain't no such thing as purgatory. You know what I'm saying? When you die, you, 
The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. Are you going to have to stand before God? Question is, who is your father? And today, you can actually switch families. And you can become a member of God's family as opposed to a child of the devil. It's just what the Bible teaches. I'm not, it's not a hard sell. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, scare you into coming to our church. It's just what this is what the Bible teaches. Or, and hopefully, you'll be convinced to become like the wise proconsul. Wise not because he was intelligent, but wise because he was repentant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for faithful servants. We're here today because of the faithful, faithfulness of those who went before us. Thank you for preserving your word through faithful servants. And that's what they were at, Lord. They came to serve in their generation to the point where we're even benefited in our generation by those who served. Father, help us, I pray, to emulate that same type of service, that same type of sacrificial service. And we'll only be following in the footsteps of the greatest servant, the Lord Jesus, our master who's Lord, yet puts on a, a towel and washes his disciples' feet. Help us to, to be like that, to emulate that. And Lord, help us not only to serve, but help us to be prepared, be prepared to be led by you. Lord, it's, sometimes it's wonderful you're leading you lead us into green pastures <laughs> by the still waters but then Lord there's some times when you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death help us to be prepared to be led by you Lord help us to be a witness help us to to preach the gospel help us who teach in that capacity to do it faithfully Lord we so desperately need your help and those who are growing in it Lord help them Bear them up, Lord, and help them to be faithful. Particularly brothers right here and sisters, Lord, who will go on to teach other women, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to be your faithful servants. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I'm not diamond ring.